back students, we're going to talk today about book seven of the Odyssey as well as a little bit of book eight. Quickly though, a little bit of review from yesterday. Recall that Odysseus made it to Scoria. On Scoria, he had to make a decision between where he slept that night. He considered one place and another. What are the two places that he considered sleeping? Both of them, not really that great, yes? On the beach or in the forest? What's the problem with the beach, especially after being on the water for 20 days? Yes. The frost. He might, dew might accumulate on him, which turns to frost, which might lead him to die of his body temperature going down. Not a good option. But what's the problem with the forest? There may be creatures in there that we know not of that might want to eat us. And so where is it that Odysseus ends up sleeping that night underneath some leaves, underneath a... Two olive trees. Two olive trees. And can you distinguish between those two olive trees for me? One is uh, wild and one is domesticated. One is wild and one is domesticated. And I said that traditionally speaking, people often interpret that as a symbol for what sort of creature that is both wild and savage and also domesticated. Yes. Humans. Humans, of course. Very good. And so when Odysseus first presents himself to the Phaeacian maidens, including Nausicaa, what do you think he appears as to them with his leafy branch? Wild and savage or domesticated? Wild and savage. And yet, how is it that he proves that he is actually domesticated and sophisticated, humane and not barbarous? Yes. Through his words. Through his words, through his ability to use language and his honoring of custom. Because what he does is he addresses Nausicaa in the appropriate way and does and very wisely does not try, attempt to approach her in his uh, um, unclean and unrobed state, which would probably lead her to do what her serving women did, which would be what? Run away. Run away. Very good. All right. So he takes a bath. He then appear, appears taller, thicker, and curlier. He's looking very handsome. And all of a sudden, and I think this is always very interesting, around lines 239 to 245, Instead of him being a creature worthy of fear, a threatening creature, all of a sudden, how is it that he appears to Nausicaa? He looks rather dashing. In fact, she has this very interesting thought now. She thinks, if only the man who will be my husband would be like this man. And so, apparently a bath can do a whole lot for your social life. And so, she then says, Odysseus, my father's house, Alcanoas, who rules this land, is through the town, and it is the biggest house. You'll see it, basically. She gives him directions. And she says, I will not go with you, however, because if I were to go with you through the town, and the townspeople were to see you, a stranger, looking so handsome next to me, the princess, they might talk. And what is it that they might say? Well, they might say, that princess, a stranger is good enough for her, not one of us, one of the common folk, one of her own kinsmen. And so she wants to avoid, again, just like she wanted to avoid sort of a sticky situation with her father and saying that she wanted to clean her clothes in order to prepare for marriage. So she wants to avoid a sticky situation with the townspeople. She doesn't want them to be gossiping, and she doesn't want to deal with gossip or rumor. And so Odysseus agrees with this. He prays to Athena, and Athena, unbeknownst to him, helps him out again. And how does she do this? Well, and I should have had this slide up, so I apologize. She drifts a mist about Odysseus so that he goes unharried and unseen. You might consider that sort of, uh, you might 
And there are two ways to really look at the idea of a stranger moving through a crowd. On the one hand, and this seems to be the idea here, nobody might notice you because you're just going about along your business. On the other hand, if it's a truly small community, you would really stand out. And though this makes me think of the Phaiakians, there are enough of them that if somebody is just walking through their city, keeping his head down, perhaps he can go unnoticed. In any case, Odysseus does have myths about him. One sort of interesting thing to keep in mind, just given what will come a little bit later today, is this. You might say, Mr. Schmidt, does Odysseus have clothing now? And I'd say, yes. The clothing that he has, he received from Nausicaa, which means that the clothes were made by Nausicaa's mother, Arate, which means when Odysseus shows up to the house of Alcanoas and meets Arate, whom he is supposed to supplicate, what will she see him wearing? The clothes that she made. Clothes that she has made. Who will she know that he has met then? Yes? Her daughter. Her daughter. She will know that this man wearing her clothes has met her daughter? Why would he now be wearing the clothes that Arate made? What condition must he have been in before that? He must have been disrobed. So she will know the moment she sees Odysseus that he has been in a, sta a state of nudity in front of her daughter, which might also suggest what interpretation to us very similar to Odysseus and Helen, which would be a little, which would cause us some consternation if we were her mother. Mm. Mm. In any case, Odysseus better be careful when he meets this lady wearing clothes that she has made after having met uh, her daughter. He better be honest where he needs to be honest. All right, all right, in any case. So Athena then appears as a young girl to Odysseus as he approaches the town of the Phaiakians. In fact, in the town of the Phaiakians. He does not recognize her. Athena says, do not talk to anybody along the way. You will give away who it is you are. Um, and so don't do it. We then find out what I told you yesterday about the ships of the Phaiakians and how fast they move. A few things about them to indicate that they are not normal people. A, they live in on, on an island, and this is not explicitly said in the Odyssey, but does appear to be true. They, they live on an island, which you cannot find if you are looking for it, unless you happen to be a Phaiakian with a Phaiakian ship. B, they are descended from giants who are descended from Poseidon. They were once giants. Wow. And C, their ships move as fast as thought. And that's not even the only cool thing about their ships. A, their ships move as fast as thought, which means they're very fast. They can go anywhere. B, they can get anywhere in the world within a day. Keep in mind that those at this time in ancient Greece, did they know how large the world was? They had no clue. So to say that you can get anywhere in a day was essentially the same as saying you can move as fast as thought. And the third thing about the Phaiakian ships is that they know all places that are known by man. And so they can get anywhere. They have a perfect map. So these Phaiakians, if I were somebody who didn't have a ship and wanted to go home, who is it that I would want to run into? The Definitely the Phaiakians. Because no matter where it is that I live, where could they get me? To that place. That's right. That's right. Even if a god were angry at me? A god of the sea? Yes. Because this does happen to be a gift that was given to them by the god of the sea. Interesting. Very interesting. 
All right, good. So Athena finishes showing the way, tells Odysseus to be bold, and she tells him to approach Arate, not Alcanoas first. Very interesting. All right, brief gene genealogy. I want you to have this down just because I want you to understand how the Phaeacians work. So first, they were ruled by a great king who was the king of the giants called Eurymedon. This was back when they were on Hyperia. And I believe the father of... Ah, yes. Yes, here we are. Then beneath Eurymedon, you get Poseidon and Parabuea. Parabuea is the daughter of Eurymedon, also a giant. From the mixture of Poseidon and Parabuea, or the pairing of them, come the Phaeacians, now Sothoas. So it's like God plus giant equals highly intelligent human. And something interesting about Nausithous' name is Thoos in Greek means fast, and Naus means ship. So what does his name literally mean? Fast ship. Fast ship. And he rules the people that have very what? Fast ships. Fast ships, yes. The idea seems to be that he is the one that came up with this. Uh, uh, he is the one that showed the evolution from giants, or people with large size and strength, to giants of the mind, to the Phaeacians who are so highly sophisticated and cultivated. They gave up, as we said yesterday, apparently their tremendous size and strength for a tremendous intellect and um, naval capacity. Well, from Nausithous come two sons, Alcanoas and Rexenor. And Rexenor has one daughter, Arate. Rexenor unfortunately dies. Alcanoas then marries Arate, who is his niece, I believe. Yes, yes, yes. And again, is that further evidence that these fire cans are potentially like gods? What is it that we know that the gods do? With impunity. They intermarry. They intermarry. Right. Recall Hera and Zeus are what? Brother and sister. In fact, the story we're going to talk about Ares and Aphrodite today. Ares and Aphrodite are what? And they're brother and sister, and Hephaestus and Aphrodite are as well. And so these five cans have some sort of divine seeming abilities, moving fast as thought, related to a god intermarrying amongst themselves. Very interesting. All right. So Alphanos is the uncle of his wife, Arate. And all love Arate. And this is, again, I think, evidence for what they have sacrificed for what they now have. All love Arate for her intelligence and her conflict resolution, and her favors. And so, if she likes Odysseus, Odysseus is probably going to be able to get where? Home. Yes. And again, this is a major theme in the Odyssey as well, conflict resolution. Just as the Iliad was a story of conflict, I would say also potentially a story of how to resolve conflicts, so does the Odyssey give us several instances where we have an opportunity to stop something before it starts. Two ways the Odyssey will talk about conflict resolution. They will say in the home the best way to avoid conflict is to have a good marriage. And frequently, marriage will be mentioned in the Odyssey. We will see bad marriages, Clytemestra and Agamemnon, Helen and Menelaus. We'll see good marriages like Penelope and Odysseus as well as Alcanoas and Arate. We will, uh, another bad marriage will be that between Hephaestus and Aphrodite. We'll talk about that either today or tomorrow. Yes. And so one way to keep or to resolve conflicts and one very effective way to keep them from ever starting is to maintain harmony. And so something 
valuable about arete, it will be valuable for us, is how to maintain harmony and prevent conflicts, and if conflicts manage to break out, how to resolve them as quickly and effectively as possible in order to get back to harmony. Hmm. Good. All right. Odysseus reaches the godlike house of Alcinous. And just like when Telemachus reached the house of Menelaus, so does Odysseus see this house and think it is like a house of the gods. And it is described very like a house that one might imagine the gods would have. It shines like the sun or the moon. It has golden doors, silver pillars. It sounds a bit like heaven, right? Golden doors, silver pillars. It sounds like a celestial place or a place within the stars. The women there, we hear, are expert weavers, like Helen, Penelope, and Calypso, who are all themselves expert weavers. I believe we see them all weaving during the course of uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. We see Helen weaving in book six of the Iliad. We see, we've already seen Penelope weaving and heard of her weaving. And we saw Calypso weaving when we first met her in book five when Hermes came down. And we hear that they have quite the, assor the assortment, quite the garden-like spread of foods. Pear, pomegranate, olive, apples, fig trees, which never spoil. So there's a castle with golden doors and silver pillars. The women are all excellent weavers and intelligent. The plants or the trees offer all fruits. Is this a place that is supposed to sound heavenly, beyond a normal place, a better sort of place, a paradisical sort of place? Does that sound correct to all of us? Yes, yes. And so, what is it that we expect to receive from these people? A ship, yes. But also because of what it is they've accomplished in the domain of naval shipbuilding, we expect to receive some wisdom from them as well. Perhaps more than any treasure that they have, the one that is most valuable is wisdom. And let's see how wise these people happen to be. So Odysseus enters as the council is offering a libation to Hermes, Hermes of all people. Why would it be the case that Hermes would be being worshipped by these traveling Phaeacians? Yes? He's a god of messengers, so he's also the god of what? Speed and? If you're going from one place to another, you're a what? A traveler. He's a god of travelers as well, strangers. Very good. It's almost as if they knew that Odysseus was coming. Because Hermes, alongside Zeus, is the god who honors Phazinia, which is why it is said that Zeus and Hermes are favorite traveling companions. But also imagine because Zeus likes a good joke, and Hermes is known to be the trickster god, and so he's probably the whatest of the gods. The funniest. In fact, you'll see him give a pretty good joke today during uh, Demodocus's um, song. All right, in any case, Odysseus enters. He grasps Arte's knees as he has been instructed to do so. He supplicates her. He asks immediately for conveyance home. And recall, a supplication is touching or it's grasping the knees of somebody and putting your hand to their chin and putting yourself in a, a, a position of utter vulnerability, saying, do with me as you will. This is what I would like for you to do. And then immediate, immediately an old man, very opposite from the henchman of Menelaus when in book four, uh, in, in book four, 
This old man, Echinios, insists that they offer hospitality to the stranger. So rather than Menelaus's henchmen, he said, should we offer hospitality to these two gentlemen who have just shown up in a chariot? And Menelaus had to chastise him. Here we have one of the regular townsmen saying, these people, they're strangers, or this person, he's a stranger. Get him up, get him up. He doesn't belong on the floor. We must give him higher honors. And so Alcanoas, again, showing that these are people that are divine in their offering of hospitality, says, my own son, my heir, Laodamus, get up, move, let this stranger sit here. Is that high honor and high respect that the Phaeacians are offering to this stranger whom they know not? Absolutely. Is that precisely how the ancient Greeks would want you to act if a stranger were to come to your house? Yes. Very good. Very good. Very good. So they're highly civil. They're highly domestic. They're highly, uh, um, how do I say this? They are very good with guests. They honor the zinnia to a high degree. These people have earned the designation of being very divine. All right. Good, 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 good. So honoring the zinnia, he gives a seat to Odysseus, gets him off the floor, feeds him, offers him wine. He says, tomorrow we will entertain him and send him on his way. Doesn't even do what yet, which is what we would want to do first. If a stranger were to show up at our doorstep, yes? Doesn't even ask his name. Who who are you? It will take some time before Odysseus is actually introduced. Which means what about the Zinnia? To whom do you offer it? Anybody that comes through your door. Because they're a human. And so just because of that, they deserve it. Is the idea. Is the idea. Alright, so Alcanelus looks upon this Odysseus. And apparently the bath really did help. Because he wonders whether Odysseus is a god. But he also wonders about this because the gods, and this is another divine aspect of the Phaeacians, apparently reveal themselves and walk amongst the Phaeacians. It is very much like the Garden of Eden idea of a god walking in the garden. So gods walk with the Phaeacians. They reveal themselves to the Phaeacians. So it's very odd to Alcanoas that there would be this man who looks like a god, and he would not know which god he is. But so, if the gods often walk with the Phaeacians, and this man appears like a god, but he's no god that the Phaeacians recognize, what must he be? He must be a man. That's right. He must be a man. And so, Alcanoas is confused at first, but he responds, I am no god, Alcanoas. <laughs> and he mentions, and this is very famous because he brings it up several times across the Odyssey, his shameless belly. And I think you might think that that's a funny thing to say in response to someone calling you a god. But why would it certainly be the case that if you are a creature with a belly, you are not a god? Several reasons, I think. First one is this. If you have a belly, what do you have to do every day? Eat. Eat, Eat what? Food. Physical food? What do gods not do? All right. Your belly is used to digest the food so that you can then extract nutrients from it and also get rid of excess. Do gods have to get rid of excess food or extract nutrition from food? No, no. And so if somebody says, you are a god, you say, no, no, I've got a belly, is that a pretty good response? Here's another reason why. Do you always determine what you want? Or at times, does your belly determine what you want? Honestly, honestly, we all are humans here, as far as we know. Does the belly tell us what we want at times? De probably several times during every day, yes? 
Yes, yes, of course. Comes to be around fourth period. Haven't had lunch. You thinking about math? Or are you thinking about tacos? Tacos, you're like, well, if I had tacos. Maybe you're thinking about a peanut butter jelly sandwich or a gogurt or something like that. But in any case, saying that the belly is a part of him is suggesting that he is not his own master. Suggesting that he is subject to his body in some way. And as he is has a body and is subject to it, he must therefore be a, a man and not a... Which, so it's a funny way to describe himself, but I think also a very... What is the opposite of a proud way to describe yourself? A humble way to describe himself. And so he's showing humility. Which is actually uh, a traditional mark of good character, to be humble. Because when you say less about yourself, people want to think more of you is the idea is the idea all right and so he says he has endured much pain and simply wants to go home odysseus is not being an especially good dinner guest right now it's, he doesn't really want to have that much fun he doesn't want to tell his story you might keep in mind that how long has he been away from people and company and being a guest at dinner yes a little over seven years, a little over seven years. so he's a little bit out of practice and when he says he's endured a lot of pain and just wants to go home that's probably pretty true that said, he's going to have to do a little bit more than just say that if he wants to get one of the ships out of these five cans. So everybody approves of that. They continue to eat until Arate notices Odysseus's clothing. Now, I told you about this. She sees these clothes. These are clothes she made, clothes that her daughter took down to a river, clothes that he's now wearing, which means that if he put those clothes on, he must have, at some point, been naked either in the presence of her daughter or near her daughter, regardless of what the answer is, what does she want to know? Who are you and how did you get those clothes from my daughter? Well, she questions Odysseus. She says, who are you and where is it that you got these very interesting clothes that you happen to be wearing? They're subtle, no accusations there. And so Odysseus tells his tale. And his tale, he will tell he will tell some tall tales when he gets to Ithaca. He does not tell a tall tale here. Though there are some scholars that, that ask this question. They say, even if Odysseus were to lie about his journeys at this point, would we as the readers even know? And the answer is, unless he's talking about that which we saw in book five, what? No, we wouldn't know either. And so we just have to what him. We trust him, believe him. Very good. And so he says... Well, I was just on Ogygia with this nymph named Calypso, and she wanted to make me her husband forever. And the reason I was there is that beforehand, Zeus had destroyed my ship, and I had to float for nine days until I reached Calypso. Man, he spends a lot of time floating on rafts in the water, doesn't he? Around 27 total days here, if you count the first 18 days he's on a raft, and then the nine days here. Uh... I don't know that he actually had a raft here. He might have had a plank. We'll have to keep our eyes open for it. Hmm. And he says that then he was seven years with Calypso, but she never won his heart. Got to move forward. Then he was let go. And Poseidon destroyed his raft. And he, end up, he ended up on Scria. And then he slept until noon under a bush and was awakened by Nausicaa and her attendants. And they fed him and clothed him, and now he's here. So is that an honest story? Even though it's unbelievable, do you think it was in his best interest to be honest in this moment? Even though his story is so incredible, 
Absolutely, because even though it's incredible and unbelievable, is it consistent? Does it make sense? Yes, and precisely because it's consistent and makes sense, it is accepted. And so, whereas if he were to have lied, because he recognized how uh, potentially guilty he looked in the situation, perhaps he would have put together a story, even though he's very good at putting together stories, which would not have convinced Arate to help him. So in this case, the truth was certainly the best thing he could have said. In fact, Alcanoas, upon hearing this story, immediately criticizes Nausicaa, his daughter. He says, why didn't you immediately bring this man up to our house? That was exactly what it was that you were supposed to do. And you had him walk alone just so that people wouldn't share rumors and gossip? Mm, not the correct thing to have done. And then again, the idea of marriage rears up its head. Malkinoah says that he wishes that he had a son-in-law just like Odysseus. One thing you may have noticed when reading about the Phaeacians is that Alcanos has several sons. He is, has either, I believe, four or five. I think it's five. But he only has one daughter. So if he were going to have a son-in-law like Odysseus, who would that son-in-law have to marry? His daughter Nausicaa, who happens to be right there. Hmm, very interesting, very interesting. What is on everybody's mind as Odysseus is in this throne room? Is this the man that will marry whom? Nausicaa. And so Alcanoas stalls for time. He says, okay, we'll send you home tomorrow. You just need to rest. We'll do some things before we send you home. And one thing I want you to keep in mind as an open question, especially for seminar, is this. Does Alcanoas attempt to keep Odysseus a little bit longer than Odysseus wants to stay in the hopes that Odysseus will stay and will marry his daughter, Nausicaa. Is Alcanoas giving him some subtle, not-so-subtle clues that that is what he wants? If I say, I would very much like a daughter-in-law, imagine I have a strapping son, two or three inches taller than I am, Strong, handsome, proud-looking, and I'm all proud of him. I say, only I had a daughter just like you in every single way. What am I sort of saying? That you should marry my son. That I think that that would be a good idea. Am I, ex am I explicitly saying that? Am I making that 100% clear? Close to, but not quite. Yes, right. I'm about 90% there. So I'm laying it out there. If you have the savvy to see. In any case, Alcanoas is sort of laying it on thick, so we think. So we think. All right, okay. These next few slides, just write very quickly because this is just information we need to get through fast. Athena goes throughout the city as a herald of Alcanoas to summon the Phaeacians to assembly. Ah, another assembly. Hope this one goes better than the last one we saw. My goodness, with Telemachus back in book two. And again, Athena makes Odysseus taller, thicker, and curlier because he's about to be presented in front of the five can people. And imagine you, if you were about to be presented in front of lots of people you didn't know, would you want to look your worst or would you want to look your best? Best, of course. You want to put your best foot forward is the expression. 
And so Alcinous does order a ship for Odysseus, but also entertainment by his blind singer, Demodocus. Something I want to add here. A blind singer of tales. Who do we know is a blind singer of epic tales? Homer. Homer. And so Demodocus must be a symbol, or may be a symbol in this text, for whom himself? The author. the author himself, Homer. And so interestingly enough, after Demodocus sings, he will be given the finest cut of meat by Odysseus, indicating that he is the person of highest what to Odysseus? Highest value. Value. As if the person in a society... Of highest value is the person who is capable of telling what. Which is interesting, because generally we think of kings and princes and generals. We don't often think of storytellers. And yet, how is it that a civilization passes itself on? Through the stories which are told by the people who tell them. That's quite right. In fact, what is happening at this exact moment right now? Is not the next generation having the stories of the past transmitted to it as we speak? Very good, very good. And so Demodocus' songs. He sings about a couple parts of the Trojan War we did not know about. First, he sings of a conflict between Odysseus and Achilleus. We don't know about that conflict, what it must have been about. But I'll tell you this, what I think it means here in Homer is that Achilleus is an ideal of how one lives one's life, and so is Odysseus. Think about that for a moment. Achilleus is very similar to Heracles, which reminds me quite a bit of the giants and the Cyclopes. Achilleus is known for being very, very what? Just like Heracles. Physically strong. And you might imagine that the way you got to the top as a human in earliest times is by being what? Physically strongest. That is the story of Heracles. Everywhere he goes, he kills who he wants, he takes who he wants. But Odysseus, Odysseus is not as strong as an Achilles or a Heracles. But, we, but he is also the person who is responsible for doing what to Troy? Bringing it down. So he has achieved something incredible. Even though his physical strength is wanting, what is it that he has that is perhaps even stronger than physical strength, even more important to victory over others. Intelligence, right, right. It's almost as if this song is about a transition in culture from having physical strength be our highest virtue to having mental strength and intelligence being our highest virtue. In fact, if you were to look at American society today, which would you say we value higher in, say, the place you spend almost all your time during the week, a school. Intelligence, that's right. What are we always trying to shape in you through putting you in all of these classes and giving you all of these tasks, and putting all these books and words and strange humans who say strange things to you called teachers? What are we trying to shape? Your bodies? Your minds, your minds. Not to say that your body isn't important. Of course, we still play sports. We have many gems. We like to eat well and all of that. But what's most important to us and our success is the shaping of our minds. And that seems to be supported here. Well, as this song is being sung, though, Odysseus starts to cry. Which is very interesting because was it not the case that Telemachus cried when he heard a story about Odysseus when he was in 
the presence of Menelaus. It is. And what is it that Menelaus then knew about this man, including looking at his hands, his feet, and the glances of his face? He was the son of Odysseus, right? So what is it that Alcanoas probably knows about this man in front of him who is crying? That he is either a friend of Achilles or that he is Odysseus. 